It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we're still learning the best ways to get more listeners to how do we fix it, to subscribe. <laughs> and so, of course, we're shamelessly cribbing from others. And we've been listening to a lot of other podcasts to see what they do. Here's a really short and sweet example from Malcolm Gladwell on Revisionist History. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. And that's it. That's all he says, Jim. But when you're already famous, like Malcolm Gladwell, you don't really have to try that hard. But we do. So right. please subscribe for free. Leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Now, this week's show, Country Over Party, Nick Troiano. We are caught in a democracy that is spiraling in a very negative direction. And the question before us is, how do we break that? Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Rampant polarization is screwing up America, weakening our democracy, our ability to introduce needed reforms, and our reputation around the world. You know, to work, democracy has to involve some compromise. You have to have the right and the freedom to disagree, but then come together and get something done. Right now, that's not happening. And our guest today is somebody who's going to try and put things right. Nick Troiano is executive director of Unite America, a group committed to changing American politics. Nick ran for Congress as an independent in 2014 and won 22,000 votes. Not bad. He's only 29, but he's been a leading voice in the political reform movement for the past decade. Nick joins us on a slightly shaky Skype line on how do we fix it from Denver. Thanks, Nick. Good to be with you. So let's start with the problem, which is that most of us are exhausted by polarization. So what's wrong with America's political system today? Well, I think we are caught in a doom loop of partisanship that's amplified by an electoral system that rewards the extremes. So closed primaries where independents can't vote gerrymandered districts that limit political competition, first-past-the-post, winner-take-all system. Uh, and then that produces governing incentives where every disagreement of policy is sort of posed as an existential threat to half the country, where to win votes and get attention uh, and to raise money, leaders 
are incented to run to their corners instead of finding common ground. So between these cultural divisions and electoral mechanics and political incentives, we are caught in a democracy that is spiraling in a very negative direction. And the question before us is, how do we break that? So what's wrong with that? What are the negative things that could happen to us as a country if our system isn't passing a lot of laws? I mean, a libertarian would say, that's fine. We don't want a lot of laws being passed. Well, it's not the case when the large and growing problems we face are largely on autopilot, meaning they get worse with time if we do nothing about them, whether that's the national debt and we're facing down, you know, over the next decade, a total of $30 trillion uh, in federal debt, or whether that's the case of the climate and the very real human and financial costs that we'll have if we do nothing. And that is exactly what we're doing because of this intense partisan gridlock and polarization. So the consequences are very real for all Americans, and it threatens the very stability of our democracy when our politics are characterized by two warring tribes that want to pit neighbor against neighbor. Is America's democratic system in greater danger now than it was 20 years ago? Uh, I'd say so, because you rewind the clock a couple decades, we were able to get really big things done when a majority of both parties were able to get together to do it. For example? Well, we balanced the budget. Remember that? <laughs> we did welfare reform. You go back before that, we did the highway bill, civil rights legislation, um, GI bill. I mean, th these were big pieces of landmark legislation that happened with the majority of both parties. What we've seen in the last 10 years is that either nothing gets done or one party wins full control of government and rams through their agenda, whether that be the Affordable Care Act under the Democrats or tax reform under the Republicans, only to have the other side committed to its repeal and destruction. It's not a sustainable way to make policy. You're involved with a group called Unite America, and it is looking for ways to help us break out of the, the partisan divide, specifically by helping candidates who are not third-party candidates necessarily, but independent candidates in certain situations. What's important about having people in our legislative bodies who don't represent either the Democratic or Republican Party? Well, for the past couple cycles, United America has been focused on electing candidates to office independent of both parties, so they represent the people. And what we found was that it's very hard to do that at a time of growing polarization and when the political system punishes third candidates because of what is known as the spoiler effect. You want to vote for the candidate you like the most, but you risk electing the one you like least. So we've expanded our focus and our theory of change moving forward into 2020 by examining how we can accelerate what is a growing democracy reform movement. You know a little bit about what it means to run as an independent candidate. In 2014, you ran as an independent in Pennsylvania and you actually did pretty well. What did you learn from that experience? Well, I learned that the message of putting people over party and special interests is deeply resonant with voters across the political spectrum. I remember distinctly on election day, we had poll volunteers who were Greens, Democrats, independents, Republicans, libertarians. It spanned the political spectrum of people who don't feel well represented by either party and want an alternative. The challenge we faced was that I was up against a congressman who, by virtue of the committees that he sat on, raised over a half million dollars from PACs. 
from outside the district. Meanwhile, I was spending several hours a day raising money, 25 or $50 at a time. So the playing field is not level. There is a lack of competition in our political system as a result. And so that's what makes it very hard to compete against the duopoly. And that's stuff that we can work on together by building a robust movement, not only to change the rules to create a more level playing field, but to support the kind of leaders who can attract a broad base of support, whether it's within the parties or outside the parties, and then work together in government to champion common sense legislation. Before we talk about some of those common sense reforms, a a note of skepticism, uh, and that is Unite America is is one of a number of groups calling for political reform. The list is fairly exhaustive from the National Institute for Civil Discourse to Better Angels to Living Room Conversations to the Bridge Alliance to the National Conversation Project, Problem Solvers, Caucus, Village Square. There are a lot of groups in this space. Do we need a coalition? Do we need an umbrella organization? There's a growing movement. I think it's a good sign. There are over 130 reform organizations by our count. And in 2018, they made a significant amount of progress. 23 ballot measures were passed in 11 states to end partisan gerrymandering, to protect ranked choice voting, to enact anti-corruption measures. Uh, Groups like No Labels and With Honor elected over 33 candidates to office who have pledged to join a bipartisan caucus. So there's a lot of momentum. But what we view the movement is that it is subscale. It's not operating at the scale it needs to to tackle the problem. And it's rather disparate. A lot of those organizations are operating in their own silos. And so that's a void that United America hopes to fill in building some greater capacity in this emerging movement. That kind of coordination and collaboration is already happening through a couple of different organizations like the Bridge Alliance and the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers. So it's a nascent movement, but one that's poised to make a large impact because of the public appetite for fundamental reform in our political system across the spectrum. We're speaking with Nick Troiano of Unite America. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And this is a good time to pivot to solutions because unlike some people who come on How Do We Fix It, Nick, you've actually got a long list of really interesting ideas about how to make our politics work better. You mentioned earlier ranked choice voting. How would that work? Yeah, ranked choice voting is a system where instead of 
just choosing one candidate in a multi-candidate race on your ballot. You have the option of ranking those candidates according to your preference. So your first choice, your second choice, your third choice. And what that guarantees is that whomever wins does so with a majority through a series of runoffs. So if the first round of voting, none of the three or more candidates get a majority, the candidate with the least amount of support gets dropped. And whomever ranked that candidate first, their votes are redistributed to their second preference. So you can take the 2000 election example in Florida. The people who voted for Nader, if no candidate wins a majority in the first round, those Nader votes likely go to their second preference, a lot of whom may have supported uh, Vice President Gore. So it prevents what is a pernicious problem in our politics right now, which is that third candidates can often be seen as spoilers. And so people are afraid of voting for them or wasting their vote. So it opens up new competition. It also creates more civility in our politics because it's not a race of a zero-sum contest. Candidates can ask you to rank them second if you don't rank them first. And so it creates better incentives for more substantive campaigns. So that's ranked choice voting. Uh, It was adopted in 2016 in Maine, and it's in place in more than a half dozen cities across the country as well. Yeah, I'm a fan of ranked choice voting. As someone who's close to being a centrist, I think it would have a very positive impact on American politics. But I'm also worried. And I'm worried because of what I'm seeing going on in Europe, where politics has become increasingly balkanized, where you have not only third parties, but now fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh parties. You had the rise of the far right, which which is a real concern, but also other elements where you just, it's so difficult now to cobble together a coalition government in many countries. Spain has just had an election where the center left did fairly well, but still is going to have a devil of a problem trying to come up with a stable government. What about that argument against ranked choice voting and proportional representation? I mean, I think you have to compare it to the system we have today. The, the American electorate is a bell curve. Most people, 65%, are part of what you know, some have termed the exhausted majority in the mm-hmm. middle. They might not all be centrist, but they're certainly not you know, democratic socialists or far-right nativists. You know, there's, a, there's a broad group of voters in the middle. However, our representation in Congress looks like an inverted bell curve. Most are to the far left or right. So the idea of having a voting system that can produce candidates that are more reflective to where the majority of people are, I think, would be a a better, not worse thing for our democracy. Let's talk also about gerrymander reform. You you mentioned how many people in Congress are from very safe seats. So there's really no risk or very little risk that they're going to get voted out or that an independent could get voted in. What can we do to make that system more fair. We can do what my home state of Colorado did in 2018, which is take the power of drawing districts away from partisan legislators and put it in the hands of independent commissions, which can be a mixture of appointees from government, of citizens who can use a more objective process to draw maps that uh, make sure that districts are compact, contiguous, represent communities of interest, so that we have more competitive elections and we don't see districts that are drawn just to the benefit of protecting incumbents. And this is, uh, you know, gerrymandering is a practice that both parties use. In Virginia, for example, even when there's a split divide in the legislature, Democrats control one chamber, Republicans the other. 
both chambers will agree to maps that protect their own party in that chamber. So, so for instance, in Virginia, you have the Senate gerrymandered to favor Republicans and the Assembly gerrymandered to favor Democrats? That's precisely correct. Wow, that's, that's yeah. kind of but, but also, crazy. sometimes the same map, the, the same crazy gerrymanders help both parties. Exactly. You know, you concentrate urban voters in certain districts, and then, the, 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 so they're, they've got safe seats, and then the Republicans in more rural areas have safe seats, right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. But in the same way that you just explained how this works, because of this urban-rural divide, is also the limitation of uh, redistricting reform. I mean, 80% of the explanation for why we have fewer uh, swing seats now than we did 20 years ago is because of this growing geographical self-sorting. So even if we were to fix gerrymandering, we would still have overwhelming number of districts that would favor one party or another because of the way that we've sorted ourselves. That's why the Senate, which represents states, has polarized just as much as the House, which has gerrymandered districts. So it's not a silver bullet. None of these reforms are silver bullets. And that's why there has to be a more comprehensive approach to the way that we fix our political system, because it's quite complicated. Yeah. And we need to do many things. So let's talk about within the status quo, when you do have people from both parties, you're also fighting for more bipartisan coalitions. How do we incentivize that? Well, the first thing I learned uh, when I was studying political science is that incumbent politicians are single-minded seekers of re-election. That is the incentive. How do you get back to office? And so we need to be able to provide a pathway for people to be able to find common ground, represent all their constituents and not just their parties, stand up uh, to special interests, and be able to still get re-elected, which means that the people who vote for them aren't just the small amount of hyperactive ideological voters in primaries. We need to dramatically boost turnout. We need to allow independents to vote in primaries, for example. Um, we need to have a system of campaign finance where uh, we can reward small donor participation so that uh, PACs and dark money don't have outsized influence. Uh, and then we need to have a vibrant movement of people who are willing to stand up and support and volunteer and fight for candidates who do the right thing. So the re-election incentive is what it all boils down to. And we need to be a counterweight to so many of those single-issue partisan groups that are out there controlling and dominating our politics today. How do you deal with issues within your coalition that overwhelmingly favor one party or another? I'm thinking, for instance, of the increasing anger among Democrats about efforts to suppress minority voters that's going on in, in some Republican-controlled states? Yeah, th these are serious issues. Some of research that I've seen lately shows that they're also a little bit overblown. Uh, we're not seeing a giant impact on voter suppression from ID laws. And at the same time, Republicans often cry wolf about the level of voter fraud that occurs. So I think both parties use these issues as they use other ones as issues to rile up their base. But they're oftentimes not the core issues that can really make a difference in improving democracy. A lot of those issues are nonpartisan in nature. For example, both red states and blue states implemented vote at home legislation to allow no excuse absentee or mail balloting. Some states like Washington and Colorado proactively mail a ballot to every voter in the state. It saves the state money. It's more secure in many ways. 
And it boosts voter participation significantly. Colorado had the second highest voter participation, especially among young people and independents in 2018. So, you know, there's a lot of legitimate debate happening around voter suppression, voter ID, voter fraud. But I think, you know, we ought to focus on what's really known to uh, reduce barriers to participation, uh, things like vote at home. What What's going on in Alaska and why does it give us hope? Well, I think we sometimes assume that politics has to be done this way. We're showing up to the legislature on day one. We have to split into team red and team blue. And the Alaska State House is showing that that's not necessarily the case. After the 2018 elections, Republicans theoretically had a very slim one seat majority. And one of the Republicans elected to the legislature said, I'm not going to be the 21st vote that splits this body into two teams so that every vote is 21-19 in this 40-member body. And so he refused to join the Republican caucus, which meant there was no speaker, no committee assignments, no business being done because he held out for a bipartisan, actually tripartisan governing coalition. And so ultimately, that's what happened with a certain number of Republicans, Democrats, and the two independents got together to form a majority of the governing coalition that is putting the interests of the state over party and is focused on issues where they can find some common ground. Your organization advocates something you call the fulcrum strategy that's related to this. Can you explain how that works? Well, the idea of the fulcrum strategy, uh, which is written about in a book called The Centrist Manifesto by our founder, Charles Whelan, is the notion that in a very divided legislature, look at the U.S. Senate, say it's divided 52-48 between both parties. Well, if you can elect or you form a coalition of three members, maybe five, um, they can deny both parties an outright majority, which means that they would have the leverage to, as a voting block, choose who the majority leader is. And then by virtue of that, what the rules are of the institution and even the issue agenda. So while we are very divided between both these parties, it would just take a few amount of of legislators Uh, in the political center to exercise a disproportionate amount of influence if they were to work together in that way. And we saw some of this possibility emerge in the Problem Solvers Caucus in the beginning of this congressional session. If if you could just just quickly explain, you know, what Problem Solvers Caucus is. Yeah, the Problem Solvers Caucus is a group of Democrats and Republicans in in the House of Representatives, started by a group called No Labels. They meet regularly. They agree to some ground rules, such as, you know, if a majority of both parties within the caucus want to vote a certain way, they'll vote as a block, etc. And they've been meeting on different issues like health care. And in the beginning of this congressional session, many of them stood together withholding their votes for the speaker until and unless the candidate for, uh, candidates for speaker, in this case, Speaker Pelosi, were to agree to some rules changes that would empower the sort of rank and file members over the concentrated leadership of both parties in the process of the House. And they actually won some of those proposed rules changes, for example, making it easier to bring a bill to the floor if it has a critical mass of support within the House. Can you imagine a time, would you look forward to a time when today's two-party system is kind of fragmented and we maybe have a diversity of of uh, independents and parties um, on the ballots and succeeding in getting into legislatures? 
Yeah, I think it's quite conceivable that if we were able to map onto Congress true representation of the American electorate today, we'd probably have four or five different parties, right? You'd have the extreme elements of both parties represented. You'd have the center left and center right. You might have its own sort of centrist party. So I can see that happening, but it's going to take significant structural reforms to allow that, to help us break through this winner-take-all system that keeps us within this binary choice. We can get there if we implement ranked choice voting, if we have multi-member districts. So that is, I think, the long-term fix to the system, but it's going to take a real movement to make that happen. We have to think about what's politically viable in the short term versus what we want to build towards for the long term. Final question, Nick. Uh, We are older guys. You are a millennial, 29 years old. Um, Seen from our perspective, your generation is really part of the problem. The turnout amongst millennials is very low. Many people say, what's the point in voting? Are you hopeful, given that you are so young, that we really can make some some big changes in in your lifetime, if not ours? I am hopeful. Uh, I think the younger generation uh, is willing to break outside the box of how we've done things in the past. Uh, We've grown up with more choice and competition in every other aspect of our lives. We expect the same in politics. Uh, Neither party can take our votes for granted. And a majority of young people are registering as independent. And so I think if we give young people a good reason to vote, they'll turn up. I mean, turnout uh, sort of spiked, what was it, by close to 20 points in the midterm elections. Uh, So I think we're seeing the stakes of a broken system today. And hopefully we'll be leading the charge to reimagine what it could look like in the future. We're looking forward to uh, checking back in with you and your movement, which uh, in some ways I think we're part of on How Do We Fix It. Uh, Best of luck to you, Nick. Thank you so much. Uh, The website's unitedamerica.org, and we welcome anyone to join with us. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So, Jim, this conversation with Nick Triana fits in fairly neatly with some other shows we've been doing. For instance, uh, we talked to Katie Fahey, who was the instigator of the Stop Gerrymandering movement in Michigan. And when you went down that list of all these other groups that are working around this problem, I I was just, it was so funny because I was just thinking like, we've interviewed almost all of those people for how do we fix it? So it is something that we're very close to. My overall thought, I've got a short-term and a long-term response to what United America is trying to do. I think short-term, I'm all for it. I, I think the, the two major parties do have too much of a lock, and I think this push to the, to the margins politically that we're, we're seeing is, is a problem. Long-term, I would like to circle back to your point about that we don't necessarily want a world like you have in a lot of countries in Europe, Israel, and, and other places where you have a plethora of parties competing, and little fringe parties can wield outsized power. You know, he talks about this fulcrum people in the middle as if that's going to be a good thing. They're going to drive compromise, and let's hope that's true. But you can also have situations like you have in Israel where these super far-right parties really have a totally outsized influence on government policy. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Short term, very much in favor. Long term, somewhat concerned. But boy, right now, things are in such a state of gridlock and polarization. Uh, I'm for United America. Yeah. So um, ranked choice voting for it? Yes, I am for it. I like the idea of voters having a chance to say twice what they really mean. First, um, voting in many cases for the the politician they uh, dislike the least. And second, having a chance to to modify that vote if there is a viable candidate from a third party or a different movement. Well, often I think what you're going to see is people will vote their more ideological choice first, you know, and then their second choice is the the uh, a more moderate uh, centrist who they could they could tolerate. But I will say this about ranked choice voting: I'm sure that a lot of people from say the Green Party are going. This is great. This is our chance. But I also think that it will open the door to more uh, right wing nationalists moving in on, on, on in the political spectrum I, I as well. Think, I kind of think the opposite. I, I think that what you'd often find, and I think that some research bears this out, is that. A lot of times people might have a strong ideological preference, but then they're okay with something more moderate. That's their second choice. And if a lot of those second choice people wind up getting elected, you might find more bipartisanship. Ranked choice voting could do that. I think we should tread carefully, let individual states experiment and see how it goes. Yeah, that's one of the great things about the American system is that you can you can start locally. One idea that, that was mentioned fairly quickly, but I think I want to end the show with a solution, and that's vote at home. Uh, mailing a ballot to anyone in the state, what's going on in Colorado, is something that should definitely be uh, copied, and and copied not only in conservative states where where many liberals, and I I think rightly, are worried about voter suppression, but also in liberal states such as New York and, and Connecticut, states that I know well, where they don't allow independents to vote in Republican and Democratic primaries, and they also have a very clunky early 20th century system of voting, which discourages turnout. So sometimes we agree too much. I'm going to solidly disagree on the vote at home. I think that all this vote at home stuff is far too open to various kinds of corruption. For example, vote harvesting, where people drive to your house and pick up your ballot and drive around with it in the trunk of their car for a few weeks. I don't think that's a great system. I think that... But if it was online and it was secure, no. Nothing is secure online. That's the first law (laughs) of the internet. I like people voting at their local high school, whatever. I want a paper record. Um, I I, I don't think there's anything wrong with expecting people to get down to their local high school or city hall or wherever their voting booth is and, and show up. That's part of our democracy. Okay, okay. Good, good pushback. But what would you think about, for instance... If you really want everybody to show up to the polls uh, and that there's no um, absentee balloting, and which, which is allowed. I'm not um, necessarily opposed to I'm, I'm not that seems a little hard line to me. wipe out absentee balloting. Okay. But I think but, the movement but, to so much early voting, voting at home kind of stuff is starting to become a problem. But what about saying, OK, let's have voting over a period of several days. Let's just make it easier for people to vote and not have Tuesday voting on a working day for for so many people who find it difficult to take the time off. Well, certainly longer hours. But I think if people are so disconnected that they can't no. be bothered to vote, do we? I'm not even sure I want them voting for our representatives. No, I'm... 
I'm not with you on that. But but it's but it's it's how do we fix it? And let's remember at the end of how do we fix it, we have a question mark. And in this case, we're we're exercising our right to disagree. That's right. Well, that's what it's all about, Richard. It's how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, who constantly reminds us when we need to get out of here, which we do right now. Music by Lou Stravinsky. How do we fix it? Is a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio, and which means podcasts for uh, companies and nonprofits. If you like what you hear on this show, maybe we can help you make your podcast. Go to daviescontent.com. Thanks for listening. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.